Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. In a time when so many prominent Christian leaders have fallen into sin, it's crucial that our faith not rest on a human leader, but in knowing God for ourselves. In today's episode, Francis Chan guides us through how to respond when we hear about moral failure in the church and how to prepare ourselves for the day when we will stand alone before God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, speaking of Jesus, it says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is the example of Jesus when he was on the earth. He gets up before everyone else does. And while it's dark, he just finds a place to be alone with the Father. This is his desire. This is just, this is, this is what he does. It's, and I can't overemphasize how important this is for every single one of you. That you need to have this ability and desire to be alone with God and alone with his word. I mean, if, if you come here today and I go, hey, what if this afternoon you can get away, just be alone in the woods, in your room, I don't care, anywhere, just alone with the word of God for hours. I hope there's something in you, inside of you that go, oh, that sounds so good. But if you're at this place where you're like, I don't even know what I would do, like alone with the word of God and just him for hours, and there's no excitement, there's no desire for that, that needs to change. If this isn't like the, the cry of your heart, the pattern of your life, where you're just always searching for alone time to be with him because this is the joy of your life. This is the thrill. It's like if you're in a marriage and you have no desire to ever be alone with your, your spouse. There's something wrong in that marriage. And in the same way in your walk with the Lord, if this is all there is to it, and a few public gatherings here and there, man, something's off. And, and, and I don't say that to judge anyone. I say that out of like, man, this is what we're made for. And so this part of your life is not right. Forget about everything else. Honestly, this is what leads to life. This is what we were made for. We were made in the image of God. Remember the garden, Adam and Eve. They were to walk in that garden with God himself. That's what it means to be a human created in the image of God, to be one with him. I really cannot overemphasize this. And that's a lot of what this is about for a few weeks as uh, elders. We just felt like, let's get people together and make sure there's a good foundation on their lives. Let's just declare to them what they, you know, what, 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 is, what is most important in their lives. You've got to figure this out. I was reading this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week. Bonhoeffer, I believe, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest theologian 
uh, to walk this earth because not only was he brilliant with God's word, but he lived it out and uh, died for it um, at a time during Nazi Germany when a lot of the church would not speak up at the persecution of the Jews. And many people were just saying, yeah, just extinguish them all. And there was so much fear. Bonhoeffer was the one guy that says, no, you, you can't do that. This is wrong. This is wrong what you're doing to those people. And eventually he's put in one of these camps and um, he eventually dies. But he wrote such rich, rich theological thoughts. And in his book, Life Together, about the church, he says this. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. Powerful statement. And when I read it, I'm like, gosh, that's just, it's so rich. He's saying, look, if you can't be alone with the Lord, he says, then beware of getting together with other people. Because you'll only do harm to yourself and to the community. In other words, think about it. If I don't spend time alone with God and in his word, and then I just come up here, and I go, hey, you guys, I've got some thoughts. That is so dangerous. Because you didn't come here to hear a person's opinion. And so if I'm not in deep time alone with the Lord in his word, going, what did he say? Because if you want an opinion, go on Instagram, right? But if you want truth, you come, you come to the church. Because you want to hear, what does God say about that? And so the idea is, it's so obvious, it's dangerous. If I come here and I have not spent time with God in his word, then I destroy you with my opinions. But the thing we need to understand about this is we normally gather in homes. And we want everyone sharing what they learn in their time alone with God. And so this is where it gets dangerous. If you are not alone with the word of God deeply with him, you're going to hurt us every time you open your mouth. Because what you say is dangerous. And I know you, you value your own opinion. The problem is we don't. You know, and it, it, we, don't, we don't gather to hear people's opinion. We gather for the word of God. And that's what he's saying. You've got to be so careful because our words can be very dangerous. Our opinions are dangerous. We come here to hear the thoughts of God. We come to hear his word. And so evaluate your own life. I love that phrase. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Because there's something so powerful when a bunch of people who have spent the week alone with the Lord in the word of God, they come together, it's powerful. 
You know those gatherings where you can just tell everyone has spent time with God and they are sharing how the word of God impacted their lives that week and you're hearing from all the different parts of the body. That's what church is supposed to be. But if we can't be alone, then we're really of no help. We're actually a danger to the community. But the other thing too is, uh, you know, when he says you will die alone and give account to God. When you end your life, it's gonna be you and this holy God on this throne. Think about that. And so if you don't have this oneness with him, if this is all about your parents' faith, your friends' faith, your pastor's faith, gosh, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Because at the end, you know, Jesus says that many will come to him and go, but Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Wasn't I there every week? And it says in Matthew 7, 21, he goes, and I'm going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I knew a bunch of people at your church, but I never knew you. So you're standing before this throne, this incredible holy God. And then the question is, is this you and him? And, 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 and if everything is just about this, when everyone else is around, what's it like when it's you and him at the end? See, and it's out of love for you that I'm like, man, I want that moment to be amazing. Where you, where you just go, oh, I've waited for this moment for so long. I've known you by faith, and now I get to see you. I've been talking to you my whole life. We've been so close on this earth, but I, but I was never happy with that. Like, I wanted more. I wanted more, like Moses, where, where he, he'd been on the mountaintop. He was in the tent of meeting. He's like, but I want to see your glory. I want to see you in all of your glory. It's that person who hungers for him. And church can be so many other things, and you can hide so easily. But then comes the end. You die. We all die, and we stand before him alone. And that's why I go, if this is not right in your life, if there's nothing in you that just craves being alone with him in that secret place, you better fix that soon before you do anything else, anything else. Something I've seen a lot in the church is how people can even live vicariously through their pastor. You know, you, you, you look up to a man of God, maybe you've done this in the past, and you, you almost are like, you believe because you see that he believes. And your stories are, oh, this happened to my pastor, or I see his prayer life. And, and it's good to have an example, but it's dangerous when suddenly you don't have those stories about yourself and your own time with the Lord. And if you haven't figured it out yet, 
People are going to let you down. Leaders are going to let you down. But then it, it even, you know, when someone you respect, when you find out about sins in their life, there's a temptation even to wonder if anything's real that you've ever believed about God. It, it, it's, it's like, no, how did, you know, that's where you just go, wow, the enemy is even trying to get me to, to wonder about everything that I believe because it just strikes at you. And you're like, wow, that was fake. Is all of this fake? Is any of this real? Is this, is this book for real? Is this Jesus we just sang to? Is he for real? But then just real quickly, that changes in me because I go, wait a second, that's ridiculous. I know what I've experienced. See, this is why I'm saying it's so important that your relationship with God is not so dependent on someone else's, but that you yourself know, no, I've been praying to him my whole life. And he's been answering me in ridiculous ways my whole life. That's not made up. I know that because I know him. It'd be like if someone said, you know, if Lisa wasn't here today, or she was, you know, a target or whatever, and uh, we don't know where she is, and, and, and then you come up to me and go, I don't think she was ever a real person. I'd be like, huh, wait a second. No, no, we, we spent 30 years together. We live, look, I got three kids right here in the front row. Where'd they come from? It, it has to be. I know it. You know, it's, it's one of those things where for a moment it gets in your head like, wait, maybe this is all fake because something was hidden. And then you, you that's why this foundation of your life, you go, no, there's no way. There's no way he's not real. I can tell you a hundred stories. I can give, tell you over and over again how faithful he's been through my entire life. See, this has to be that foundation where you, in your personal walk with the Lord, you know him, you love him. Like I told God a few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago now, I go, Lord, will you just please remind me every day that you are holy and you love me? Period. If I know that every day, you're holy, and I don't lose sight of that, and I don't lose sight of your love for me, I'll make it through. I'll make it through to the end. It's got to be foundational, though. I will say, too, though, I, I did say to Lisa, is it okay if I just never trust anyone? Like, do I have to trust people? Like, you know, biblically, can I just go through the rest of my life without trusting anyone? Because that's just what you feel. You just go, well, but there's got to be a way where we can trust people appropriately. You know what I mean? Like, like I, 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 I want you to be able to trust me, but in an appropriate way going, yes, but he's human too. And he's not going to be perfect. And, you know, but, but, but the Bible says too much about obeying your leaders and following their examples and coming under authority. So it's like it's there, but there has to be an appropriateness to it where it's like you're not this overly dependent to where once they fail, you're done. Um, 
because the base is you alone with God. Um, but I, um, I want to just throw out some thoughts this morning from Scripture because twofold. One, I feel like I want to pastor you through things like this um, because this week I think you'll be tempted to, when something like this happens, doubt starts arising, and I don't want that for you. The second thing is the temptation to sin arises because you think, well, if that leader did it or someone you respect, it's almost like just this, well, then how am I ever going to make it? And I don't know, there's some way the enemy uses it to discourage us and almost give us like a license to mess up ourselves and blame it on, you know, discouragement or whatever. And then the other thing that could happen during this time is that we get so focused on these issues that we get lazy in prayer. And like I said last week, we're in a very important time on this earth. And we are alive here for a reason. And there's some major things going on in the world right now. And if the enemy can get us to be distracted, not be sober-minded to pray, he's going to do it. Um, because now more than ever, we need to have incredibly strong prayer lives. A verse that came to mind as I was um, praying about this was, you remember the story of Joseph? Um, and at the end of his life, when his brothers, you know, show up and, you know, these are the guys that sold him into slavery, thought about killing him, everything else, and they realize what had happened. But then suddenly, you know, Joseph is saved by God and rises to power and now has authority over them. And they're like, oh, great, he's going to kill us. You know, what, what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There are things that happen in the world that the enemy means for evil, like he will try to destroy you by this. And God says, yeah, but I can use it for my good. I remember early on, um, you know, in, in our marriage, probably three, four years into our marriage, I was a pastor of this church and uh, of a church in Southern California. And there was another church in town, a bigger church. It was like the biggest church in town. And it got found out that the pastor had an affair with his secretary and just wiped out the church. You know, and this was a friend of mine and and I didn't ended up not seeing him for months. And then when I saw him, I mean, he just he was a mess. He just looked horrible. And I said, walk me through it. What happened? 
And he started explaining the situation. He explained the day when he had the affair. And he, he just, he's telling me, he goes, I knew, I knew it was going to come out. I knew everything was going to And he goes, I would just sit in my office with a gun. And I would just stick it to my head. Because I just kept thinking to myself, my kids would rather I be dead right now. My wife would rather I be dead right now. My congregation would actually do better if I just killed myself right now. And him just describing this to me and the struggle with wanting to take his life. And I just, at that moment, I'm just looking at his face, you know, hearing his remorse and everything else. And so for me, I just thought on that day, oh God, I don't ever want to be in that place. Let me get serious. I remember, even war- I remember him warning me. He goes, man, if I could do it all over again, man, maybe I would have just gone away for a weekend every month of the year with my wife. I, I just do everything I can to make sure And as he shared that with me, I thought, you know what? I'm going to use this horrible situation for the glory of God. I am going to just think through boundaries in my life. Things I need to prepare, knowing that this could happen to anyone. I remember one of the things Lisa asked me early when we were married She just says, can you just look at me? Might have been at that time. She goes, honey, can you just promise me you won't cheat on me? And I remember looking at her and saying, honey, I can't promise you that. Because if I promise you that, then there's going to be like this side of me that feels like it can't ever happen to me. I will tell you, I'm going to do everything I can, but I need to have this awareness that this could happen to me. And so let me set up my life in such a way as, you know, like uh, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts. Run away from it. Don't even allow. It's not like you go in there and you struggle with it. No, he says you run away from it. And so I says, I'm going to set up parameters in my life. And so for, for the last 30 years, it's like I won't be alone with a woman. I won't go in a room alone with a woman. I won't even drive in a car alone with a woman. And sometimes it's super awkward. They're like, hey, you know, let's, let's go. And I'm like... Uh, we're going to have to take separate cars. I, I have a rule. I don't drive alone with girls. Period. I'm going to go to a restaurant with you. I'm not going to. It's just this idea of you flee youthful lust. You just go, I'm not going to say this could never happen to me. I'm going to set my life up knowing that it could happen to me. And so there have been, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's funny, at our old church, like, it's like one after another, like, staff women at our church just asking me, why do you hate me? <laughs> or why don't you like me? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you da, 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 da. I go, well, I'm not going to 
talk to you. We're not going to be friends. We're not going to. Uh, it's just, I, I just have these parameters. I'm sorry. It's not that I don't like you. I just, we're just really not going to be that close of friends. That's just not what I do. And I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. I'm sorry to make you feel that way, but it's parameters, boundaries, flee youthful lust. Just know that it can happen to anyone. And so you set it up that way. Um, Another passage that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 10. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 11, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, so first he talks about some of the failures in Israel. And he explains, look, those things were written for your sake. So when you see how they made these mistakes, you can avoid those mistakes. Rather than being arrogant, he goes, take heed lest you fall. But then he gives you this reminder. He gives you this promise. So you don't look at something like this and go, well, if that person falls, how am I ever going to make it? No, you look at the word of God and the word of God says that he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. That's a promise. That's the word of God. So all these excuses, well, well, you don't understand my background. I'm just angry because I'm Italian or Irish or Mexican or Chinese. Or whatever. Everyone has these excuses. I can't help it. I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And God says, look, I will never, I promise every one of you, I will never let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. Every time that temptation's in your face, he goes, I promise you, there's a way of escape. You're not the first person on the earth to ever struggle with this. Whatever you're struggling with, someone else struggled with it worse, and they got out. So let's stop it with the excuses of how hard it is right now, because the word of God says he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. There's always a way out. Another passage that came to mind as I was praying is uh, the principle in 1 Timothy chapter 3. When it's talking about the elders in 1 Timothy 3 verse 6, there's a principle about pride. And when he says you're looking for elders in the church, he said he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He says when you're looking for someone to be a leader, make sure you don't pick someone who's a newer believer because you give too much authority, too much of a platform too soon a pride starts creeping into your life. And he says that that's, that's the condemnation of the devil. 
like this pride. I thank God, you know, I had a youth pastor um, and, you know, he's the one that really taught me about relationship with God. He's the one that taught me about these parameters in life. You know, a lot of the, the decisions I've made, you know, all through my entire life, go back to when I was 16 and was taught by this, this guy who, who's still serving the Lord uh, this many years later. And I remember him, when I turned 18, I became his intern. And I thought, man, you gotta let me teach. Like, I can communicate. You should see in speech class, people are dying in laughter. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm good. You know, is, this is going on in my mind. And I remember my youth pastor said, no, you're not teaching. Go clean the bathrooms. <laughs> like, seriously? All right, whatever. You know, go, go stack the chairs, go vacuum the multipurpose room, go, you know, figure out how to get rides for everyone to winter camp and whatever. It was just, you're not teaching. You're not teaching. He goes, this is the way I was brought up. He goes, I, I didn't get to teach for years. I just kept doing this because I don't want you to become proud. You got to do the menial things. You got to be a servant. I thought, wow, that's, that's so good. Um, and through the years, I've just seen too many times. My, I've failed in this where I'll see someone that's gifted and I'll let them do more and more and more to where they have authority. And the Bible says that's going to destroy them. And I'm embarrassed to say I, I take part in some of the sins where I let young people get too much of a platform in front of people because you just think, ah, but, but it'll work. It's for the kingdom and everything else. It's like, you got to beware of pride in your life. And we're in a generation, a time when people get platforms online so quickly, and that's dangerous. And in the church, we're not thinking through these boundaries. And so let's be careful. Let's be careful with giving people too much too soon. In James 3, verse 16, it says, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, wherever it exists, so will every vile practice. And that's a dangerous thing in ministry is selfish ambition. Suddenly it's not out of a fear of God and love of God that you do what you do out of a calling, but there's selfishness. It's human nature to want power to want to be in charge, to keep people under you. It's selfish ambition to... And I, I remember uh, when podcasts first started and there was this other Christian leader I was asking, you know, I just want to meet with him to ask him some questions. And, and he's like, yeah, come over to the house. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. So I fly up there and I'm like, man, thanks for uh, making time for me. And he goes, well, of course I'd make time for you. You're one of the top 20 podcasters in America. You're number 19. I'm number two. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's a thing? And he goes, yeah, you want to see how you check and what? And so anyone who knows me knows I'm a little competitive. And I'm like, 
did you just call me number 19, <laughs> you know, in my head? But, you know, it's just, there's this ambition. So guess what I'm checking regularly? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even when I got to the airport, I'm like, I'm not 19, I'm 15, and you're number four. I'm going to beat you. You know, it's just sudden. It's so crazy how the enemy can get in there through selfish ambition. And it says when there's selfish ambition, it's going to lead to all sorts of disgusting practices. We just got to be aware of these things in our lives. Another thought, and I think this will be important, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says, don't let any unwholesome or corrupting talk come out of your mouth. He goes, the only thing that should be coming out of your mouth is that which is good for building up. Okay, so a lot of times in the church, when something, you know, uh, hidden gets discovered, we all just start talking. But God gives us clear instruction. If you're going to talk, only say what is good for building up others. Don't just talk to talk. I mean, we all know people who just love to listen to themselves talk. And the Bible says the only time you should talk is to build others up. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. We always think, well, it's true. Okay, it's true, but it doesn't build anyone up. Why are you talking? And so we just have to be careful as a church when things happen to not just talk because it's interesting or we want to find the dirt on someone else or whatever it may be. You got to think through, be wise in your conversations, what actually is going to build up the body of Christ. Two more, two more things. Uh, one is 1 Peter 4, 7. We studied this last week, right? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Remember that? I know it was a long time ago. Last Sunday, where we just said, look, the end of all things is at hand, so we better be clear-minded sober-minded, and self-control. Self-control. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to be watching all this other stuff because I want to be focused on my prayers because the end of all things is at hand. Let's not forget there's a war going on right now. There are people that have been kidnapped. We don't know if they're alive. There are people dying on both sides that don't know the Lord and are about to stand alone in the presence of God that we talked about earlier. And so if we're, if we're all distracted by these other things, which, which are important, they are significant. And we got to remember, I mean, there are people that are really hurting right now. Um, For that reason, we can't just be talking about stuff. We've got to be on our knees, praying, clear-minded. Don't let the enemy use these things to keep you from praying. 
And then finally, my last thought was uh, also the same thing we talked about last week from Luke 13. Um, when Jesus says, hey, basically worry about yourself. Um, and I used Allie as an illustration and I misquoted her because she was not in fourth grade, she was in kindergarten when she said that. So apologies to you. Okay, um, but that whole idea of it's so easy to discuss other people's lives and not look at our own. And that what, that's what was happening in Luke 13. People were having these conversations. Hey, that tower that fell and it crushed those people. Do you think it's because they were more evil than we are? And so God decided, I'll crush them. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. And unless you repent, you're going you're gonna to perish also. It's like, oh, okay. Jesus saying, hey, think about yourself. This is a great opportunity for us to repent as a church. I'm just telling God, show me if there's anything right now in my life. Like, I don't want to make excuses for anything. Show me the little things. Show me, one of, one of my good friends yesterday just called me, goes, look, you better promise me if there's even a little window, a little crack in your life where some sin can, can come through that you call me right away. Do you promise me that? You gotta promise me this. And he goes, and I'm promising you. And it's like just a time of like, no, let's get serious. There can't be anything. Every revival seems to start with repentance. Anything great has to start with us coming alone before God and confessing any bitterness toward another person in the body of Christ, anything your eyes are looking at that you should not be looking at. Man, to cleanse the church of the pornography, of movies and things you know you should not be watching, even TV shows that, that seem a little harmless, but you know, this little seed is like, let's just get it out. Let this be a time where the enemy is trying to use it for evil, but like Joseph, we go, now God's gonna use this for his good. And so, I think to close, I just want to pray for a time of cleansing. Maybe Mercy can lead us in a song or two, but that this would be a time where you're confessing, look, I don't know what's going on in your life. You know, and even though we meet in homes and you're being family with these people, you can lie to family can lie to everyone. And that's why, again, going back to where I started, that alone time with God is everything. Because he knows everything going on in your life. He knows what you're lying about. And you stand before him alone at the end of your life. And so, man, this is not to judge anyone. Uh, out of love for you, I'm saying, man, make this be the day 
where you walk away. Don't let the enemy use this to get the victory. This is an incredible opportunity for the body of Christ, a time of cleansing, repentance, and forgiveness. There's nothing, nothing as great as like repenting and just go, oh, I can breathe again. Because you don't have peace in your sin. Not the Holy Spirit's in you. You know the things that are wrong. And I believe the God, that God is bringing, to things, bringing things into your mind right now that you just have the bold, you have to have the boldness to go, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm walking away from that. I'm confessing that. And if any of you needs prayer, you know, maybe we have Rob, Sarah, Lisa, um, just kind of up here praying. If anyone needs to talk to someone, just come up to one of them while the rest of us are worshiping. Vince, maybe you can come up too. But Lord, Lord, please, right now, would your Holy Spirit fall on this place to cleanse us Prune this church, purify this church, get rid of the lies, bring such strong conviction, fear of the Lord right now, God, so that we can experience your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. Join us next time for a new episode, but until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org.